Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we've got kind of a double episode for you. We're going to be talking about the college basketball daily fantasy slate for Wednesday, March 8th. But with it being conference championship week, it's kind of a different schedule. So DraftKings has decided that they're going to do an early slate and a night slate, which is totally fine by me. They've already got the salaries out for the early slate. We already know the matchups. We're good to go on that one. But because of there being conference tournaments going on Tuesday with matchups that are going to decide Wednesday's games, they have not gotten out the pricing for the Wednesday night slate yet. FanDuel, however, decided to do a smaller Wednesday night slate, and they've already got all the pricing and all the players and all the contests set up. So what we're going to be doing here today is we're going to be breaking down in full the early slate, right? Just like we always would. And then we are going to discuss what I expect the late slate to look like on a game-by-game basis as opposed to, you know, going down the board and going by salary because I don't know what the salaries are on DraftKings yet. I know what they are on FanDuel, but I know that it could be subject to change on DraftKings, and DraftKings is probably going to involve more games as well. So we got kind of a double podcast for you today. So hopefully you like what you're listening to, and hopefully you will come back for the rest of Conference Tournament Week. If this format works, we're probably going to keep it up this way for the rest of the week. Now, if you really like what you're listening to, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps me out a lot. If you subscribe, you'll be let know when new episodes drop. All right, so without further ado, let's go ahead and start breaking it down. But first, a quick word from our friends at Anchor. All right, so let's start breaking down the early slate, and let's start off by talking about the games that we want to target in this early slate, the first of which is going to be the Wake Forest and Syracuse matchup taking place in the Greensboro Coliseum for the ACC tournament. The total in this one is set at 154, and Ken Palm has it as a Wake 79-77, to which will be 156 points scored, so quite a lot. This is actually a rematch of a game that happened last Saturday. Yeah, these two teams are playing for you know, the second time in four days. And in that game, Syracuse won at home 72 to 63. Now, interestingly enough, I don't think this is something that comes into play very often, but with Syracuse playing in the Carrier Dome, I kind of expect Wake to shoot better in this game. You know, the Carrier Dome kind of has a little bit of different sight lines, you know, a little bit different feel as a shooter, and Wake shot terribly from three in that game. So I kind of expect them to be in line for some regression and expect to see more of those threes going against Syracuse, which is going to allow for that point total to get higher and higher. Now, the second game with the highest total on the slate is Butler versus St. John's in the Big East, taking place at the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden. The total in this one is 144, according to Vegas, and Ken Palm has it as St. John's 74 to 68, which is right in line with that projected total. Now, St. John's is actually the fastest team in the nation in adjusted tempo, according to Ken Palm, but the season series is... Not like super impressive in terms of the point totals. St. John's won one of the matchups 77 to 61. Butler won the other 68 to 66. So not exactly the super most high scoring affairs, but definitely with the tempo that St. John's plays at, you're probably going to want to get a piece of that game. All right, so now let's start by breaking it down position by position, and let's start at the top of the board with the guard position. Tyree Appleby of Wake Forest is the top play at the guard position. He had 46.3 fantasy points against Syracuse last Saturday, and in that game, he took 16 shots and had 8 assists, which is a 31% usage rate for the game. Now, here's what you get when you take Tyree Appleby. You're getting a guy who has incredible usage, 
who can score it, who can assist it. And you're going up against that Syracuse 2-3 zone, right? We've been targeting this 2-3 zone all year long because this is really a down year for Syracuse. They're not as good at it as they have been. But generally speaking, what zone lends itself to is you get a lot of assisted baskets. They're one of the worst teams in the nation defensively in assist percentage. You get a lot of offensive rebounds, and you get a lot of three-pointers. All of that bodes well for Appleby because he's going to shoot a lot of threes and he's going to get a lot of assists on threes. They just got to make them. In fact, all the Wake Forest guards in this one launched a lot of threes. And like I said earlier, they didn't make a whole lot of them. So I definitely am not discounting um, Davian Williamson and Lucas Taylor. They're both in play for me from this Wake Forest squad also uh, if they get a little bit of shooting regression. But I think Tyree Appleby is absolutely the top play at the guard position. Now, right below him is a guy on the other side of this game, Judah Mintz of Syracuse. He had 31.3 fancy points against Wake Forest. Not bad. It's about four times value. Uh, and he had a 29% usage rate in that game. I would expect that to be pretty similar in this one, right? I, I don't see him going off for like a 60 fancy point performance or nothing, but I definitely think that that's a pretty respectable total with 31.3 for Judah Mintz. Now, Georgia Tech is a team we got to talk about. Speaking of which, quick side point. So as a kid that grew up in North Carolina, um, you know, the ACC tournament gets played on TVs at schools, right? Because that's kind of what you do when you're in North Carolina. And maybe I'm crazy or maybe this is just my memory, but it always seems like the midweek, midday afternoon game always involved Georgia Tech. You know, they never put them in prime time. They're never playing on Thursday or Friday, but Georgia Tech is always playing at that 2 p.m. Wednesday game. And sure enough, here they are again. Now, why it's worth talking about Georgia Tech for this one is they essentially only played five guys in their comeback win earlier Tuesday against FSU. Jalen Moore was the only guy that played off the bench, and he played seven minutes, so I don't even think he's really worth playing at this point. So you're getting four guards in this Georgia Tech rotation that you know what you're getting. You're going to get 35 to 39 minutes from them. Um, you're going to get solid production, solid usage out of all of them. They make for great cash game options. Now, what's also relevant is that the pricing on DraftKings, the order they're in, matches their usage rate. It goes Kelly, Sturdivant, Terry, Coleman. Of the four of them, I think Kelly and Sturdivant definitely possess much more upside, but you know they're probably going to come with a little bit more ownership as well. I don't mind going to any of them, though, in cash games because you know you're going to get minutes, you know you're going to get usage. Femi Kale of Seton Hall, in my honest opinion, is a lineup lock if Kadari Richmond is declared out of this game. He's had 40 fantasy points in the last two games, both of which Kadari Richmond missed. Now, here's the problem, though. This is one of the last games of the slate at 515. And if Kadari Richmond plays and you're sitting there with Femi Kale in your lineup, he's vastly overpriced for what his production and usage would be if Kadari Richmond plays. So if you do put him in your lineup... I'd probably put him in the util spot or something, but I would have a plan to late swap him out on DraftKings if you are intent on playing him, which, like I said, if we get news that Kadari Richmond is out, like it's a no-brainer lock him in. But until then, I would definitely have an option to late swap out of if you do plan on putting Femi Odakala in your lineup. Now, Pitt going up against Georgia Tech. Um, I don't really think that the guard position is the way you attack Georgia Tech. Uh, after watching that game today against Florida State, Georgia Tech really struggled to defend the interior, not the perimeter. I thought their perimeter defense was pretty good, and I think they're a little undersized on the inside. So I don't really want any of Pitt's perimeter scores, right? What I do want, though, is I want Nelly Cummings in my lineup. 
He's the only pit guard that I'm really considering because he gets a lot of assists. And Georgia Tech is 311th nationally in assist percentage defensively, according to Ken Palm, meaning there's about 50 teams in the nation that give up more assists than Georgia Tech. And I like that. I like those odds for Nelly Cummings to pick up a lot of assists. He is Pitt's assist leader, and he had seven assists in a performance this season Earlier this season, I should say, against Georgia Tech, where he had 40 fancy points. All of this aligns for Nelly Cummings to be a great play against Georgia Tech. Now, if you're looking for a recent form guy, you got to talk about Cal's Joe Brown. He has over 36 fancy points in two of his last three games. One of those two was against Washington State, who is their opponent tomorrow. Well, if you're listening to this Wednesday, their opponent today. So I definitely think he's got a lot of upside. He's been pretty much the guy carrying the load offensively for Cal. They're a bad offense. They're a bad team. They're probably going to lose and just kind of be put out of their misery for the rest of this season against Washington State. But I definitely think that he's worth a look because of what he's done recently. And because he plays for Cal, he's probably not going to carry a whole lot of ownership. Now, we do have to talk about the Colorado guard situation um, with where it stands right now. So KJ Simpson is out for this game right? And he missed their last game. And in that last game, there were two guards that had some absolute breakout performances. First of which was Neek Clifford. He had 35.8 fantasy points. He's not the one I want though. He only had a 20% usage rate, which is not a lot to get that amount of production. The reason why he had so much fantasy points was because he grabbed 11 boards and he's not really the biggest board guy in the world. He's also not the natural replacement for KJ Simpson. So a lot of people may look at that big game for Neat Clifford and just click him into their lineups and assume that he was KJ Simpson's replacement, but he really wasn't. The real KJ Simpson replacement was Julian Hammond, who also had 35.8 fantasy points in that game. Crazy how they ended up with the same exact total. But Hammond had a 23% usage rate. He was handling the point guard duties, and he's only $3,400 on DraftKings. Now, granted, if there's a lot of people who are doing the research like I am, they're going to find that out, and they're going to put Julian Hammond in the lineup. But I really don't think the ownership matters if he's giving you a 10 times return on his salary. So I'm absolutely okay with going all in on Julian Hammond for this Wednesday slate. Now, I mentioned the Kadari Richmond injury earlier. Dre Davis of Seton Hall is another guy whose usage would drastically increase if Kadari Richmond was out of the lineup. He also gets dual eligibility. So if you're looking to kind of construct a late swap lineup, he is definitely a piece that you could have that could help you out big time. Now, lastly, got a few options down here in the 4 and 3K range. Butler's Chuck Harris, his season average is like, way too much for his price. He's just been really inconsistent. He kind of goes through stretches where he's productive and stretches where he's not productive, somewhere he doesn't play a whole lot. It's weird. You can't really predict it. But if you're somebody who believes in regression to the mean, um, then he's somebody you probably want in your lineup. Also, if you're somebody who believes in prior performance against a certain opponent, he's somebody you want in your lineup. He had 33 fantasy points against St. John's the last time these two teams met. And then in the 3K range, Jay Terry and Caleb Murphy, both of DePaul, they both feel a little underpriced to me. Um, Terry, before he dealt with all those injuries, was a pretty solid player with a high usage rate and high minute total. He hasn't quite gotten back to that yet. But this conference tournament, teams have nothing to lose, so why would they not try to get as many minutes out of Jalen Terry as they can get? Caleb Murphy is a guy who's been pretty solid for DePaul, but my only concern is that most of his best games seem to occur in blowouts in garbage time. And I don't really expect this one to turn into garbage time. I expect this to be a pretty competitive matchup. So I don't know how I feel about that, but you're looking at a guy who's only $3,200. He's definitely worth a look. 
All right, that does it for the guard position. So let's take a quick breather and then let's break down the big fellas on this early slate. All right, so I'm not gonna lie y'all, the four position for this early slate, it's like one of the best slates to pay up at the four position in my personal opinion. Every forward above 8K on DraftKings is in play for me on this slate and really figuring out which one that I'm or really which two maybe that I'm going to want to put into my lineup is going to be a tough choice because all of them have their different levels of appeal right Jesse Edwards of Syracuse had the monster 66 fancy point game against Wake Forest last Saturday and if you're saying well yeah maybe that was fluky like maybe that was just a one-time thing whatever um, Wake Forest has struggled to defend the interior all season long. So it might not be 66 that you get from Jesse Edwards, but I definitely like his chances to get you to 40 and get to that four times value number. I mean, if he gets to 40, that would be a legitimate, like what, 33% drop off from what he had previously, maybe even more than 33%. So, um, I actually, I think if he just gets like 75% of that 66 fancy points, you're going to be happy camper playing Jesse Edwards. Georgia Tech's Javon Franklin does not need a whole lot of shots to give you great production. Um, he proved that against Florida State today. He had a lot of rebounds, and it really helped his fantasy totals. And he did the same thing against Pitt. He had 35 fantasy points against Pitt in their last matchup on only seven shots. He plays pretty much the entire game, which is really difficult as a big man. And he does manage to stay out of foul trouble usually, which also means that he's pretty susceptible to getting attacked on the other end as well. But I do like Javon Franklin in this matchup against Pitt. Joel Soriano of St. John's is a guy that I like mildly as is, but I like him a lot if Manny Bates of Butler does not suit up. So that is an injury to monitor as we go forward. Uh, Manny Bates is pretty much just an elite rim protector. And if Joel Soriano can get a matchup against Butler without Manny Bates there, then he's not only going to have a pathway to rebounds that he always has, but he's going to have a pathway to a lot of points as well. All season, we've targeted rebounders that go up against Cal because, you know, they miss a lot of shots. And when you miss a lot of shots, there's a lot of opportunities for rebounds. And in this game, it, it's Muhammad Gay's turn for Washington State. Um, he had 41 fancy points last time that Washington State and Cal played. Um, and so that's definitely a really good option, you know, to target Muhammad Gay on this slate. Always got to be careful when I'm talking about him. Just always got to be careful. Anyway. Next up, Nick Agenda is another guy who is above 8K on DraftKings, and he has been great since he got activated. And Seton Hall is a pretty small team. They're not like a super tall team, super big team inside. So I think that Agenda can take advantage of that and give you another high fancy point total, which he's had since he's been back. And last guy that I want to talk about is Blake Henson of Pitt. He only had 31.5 against Georgia Tech the last time these two teams played. But like I said earlier about Javon Franklin, with them only playing five guys, this lineup's very vulnerable on the interior. Like, Javon Franklin knows he can't foul, and they're not big either with Debo Coleman playing the four. So I definitely think it's a really solid opportunity for Blake Henson to attack the interior, pick up a lot of points, pick up a lot of rebounds, and definitely gives you a lot of upside. Looking down at the 7K range, I think Tristan Da Silva of Colorado has some upside. Um, he had 31 fantasy points against Washington in their previous meeting. Washington is another 2-3 zone team, so you're going to get a lot of opportunities for offensive boards. Um, now, I actually think he could be in line for some positive regression against Washington. In their previous meeting, he was 8 for 21 from the field, which is below his season average by quite a lot. So if he just gets a little bit of regression shooting, like say instead of 8 for 21, he was 12 for 21. Well, that's instantly 8 more points, right? So I definitely think that this could be a really good spot for Tristan to Silva. 
Looking down to the 6K range, Wake Forest Bobby Clintman. Oh, actually, I learned that it is Bobby Clintman. Wake Forest Bobby Clintman has been fairly consistent, putting up 20 or more fantasy points in five of his last six games. And against Syracuse last Saturday, he had 22 fantasy points, which is not a bad total. Like, it's not going to kill you in any format to get 22 points out of a guy who's priced just above $6,000, right? It's not going to kill you. It's not going to win you a GPP, but it wouldn't like destroy your lineup. Now, in that game, he was also one for six from three. Like I mentioned earlier, I think there's a lot of Wake Forest guys who are due for some shooting regression playing in a normal arena. And so I think that you're looking at, you could be looking at a big game from Bobby Clinton is what I'm trying to say. Now, on the other side of that game, in the 5K range, Syracuse's Malik Brown, to me, has a lot of upside. So Syracuse all season has been super unpredictable with their rotations. And like the second you try to identify, oh, this guy just played 30 minutes. Well, maybe he's going to play 30 minutes again. Lock him in. He plays like seven. And he like is just out there getting his cardio in because he's not touching the ball. And so they've been just terrible with this all season in terms of game-to-game predictability. However, when you go digging, they're fairly predictable in terms of their opponents, right? So they play similar rotations in rematches as they did the first time. Y'all see where I'm getting at, right? This Wake Forest game, it not only was Syracuse's most recent game, but it's also a rematch of the game that they just played. And in that game that they just played, Malik Brown played 32 minutes, and he had 30 fantasy points against Wake Forest. If I'm Jim Beheim, why would I go away from that? Like, I, I can't think of a reason why I would, right? Now, maybe he's just old and grumpy and senile, but hey, I don't know. I, I think that this is a pretty solid spot for Malik Brown. If you don't trust the Syracuse rotations, and I could totally understand you if you didn't, just stay away from it. But just saying, he had a good performance against Wake last time, and Syracuse has been fairly predictable in rematches. In the 4K range at the forward spot, it is worth mentioning that your and I of DePaul uh, has a really good fancy points per minute total. Uh, he just hasn't played a whole lot of minutes since returning from injury. But if he does manage to get to 15, 20 minutes, he could give you a really solid performance. Then in the 3K range, this is also a situation not unlike the Syracuse one. Um, we've seen a little bit of unpredictability with St. John's rotations with guys coming in and out of the lineup. <laughs> Andre Curbelo. <laughs> um, but Omar Stanley has been a guy who has had some flash games, right? When David Jones was out of the lineup, he had a few flash games. Well, randomly against Marquette, Omar Stanley got a start in their last game. And in that game, he played 33 minutes, and he had 27 fantasy points, right? And at a guy who is in the 3K range, that is absolutely something that we would be willing to play, right? Like that's just, that would give you outstanding value. And if you're sitting there thinking, wait a minute, it was their last game of the season. Well, what if it was senior night? Yeah, I don't know if it was senior night or not, but Omar Stanley's not a senior. So you're looking at a guy who could give you potentially a lot of upside if he does get to start in that front court for St. John's again. All right, so that does it for the fourth position, and that actually does it for the early slate. So we're going to take a quick breather, and then we're going to be right back to preview the night slate. All right, so let's dive into this night slate. Now, reminder, as I'm recording this, which I'm recording this late Tuesday night. DraftKings has not released the salaries for this slate just yet. So it's kind of hard to do the old format that I did where I go, you know, position by position by salary. But when, you know, when you don't have the salaries, that's kind of difficult. So I'm going to do a game by game. Now, 
I might not get every single game that's going to be on the slate, but I do feel pretty confident that every game that I'm going to talk about is going to be on the slate. So what I don't want to have happen is me like give this analysis of a game and mention some names, and then you guys go looking for them on DraftKings, and they're not there. It's much more likely that you look at the slate and you see, oh, Mike didn't talk about that game. You know, so I do think that every game this one will be covered and will be on the slate. All right. So let's start it with the one that is at 630 and the one that I do believe is the reason why DraftKings is starting the slate at 630. And FanDuel is also starting their slate at 630. And it starts with this game. And that is Ohio State versus Wisconsin. Ken Palm has this game as Ohio State 60 or 67 to 66. Uh, Vegas has a total of 131 right now. Now, in the regular season meetings, both Chucky Hepburn and Connor Asijan had a lot of success against Ohio State. Stephen Crow for Wisconsin, to me, is also worth a look because of Ohio State being without Zed Key. They're playing a little bit of a smaller lineup, and they're just more susceptible to big guys down low. And so I could definitely see Stephen Crow having a ceiling performance. Now, with the loss of Zed Key, Justice Suing has just had incredible usage since that injury. We've also seen a little bit more of a takeover from Bruce Thornton at the point guard position. And then Felix Opara is the big man who is kind of sliding into that Zed key role as the center. He doesn't play a consistent minute load. He doesn't have a consistent fantasy point total. But if you're like me and you know the role that he's in and you just keep playing him and keep playing him, I think that he might give you a good performance in this one. He has given you one good one in the past. Now, the next game we're going to talk about is Texas Tech versus West Virginia in the opening round of the Big 12 tournament. Holy crap, this is a first-round game. The Big 12 is loaded. Anyway, Ken Palm has this game as West Virginia 76-73, one of the higher-scoring games tonight with a total of 149. Ken Palm had it right on the number. And Eric Stevenson is a guy for West Virginia that we got to talk about. He's had 23 points in five straight games. He's really been feeling it up lately um, and just you know really shooting well from the field, really getting a lot of looks and a lot of usage. And if he is under, I would say, 8K on DraftKings, I think you can fire away on Eric Stevenson. Uh, in, in that five-game stretch, he did have 27 against Texas Tech on February 18th, so we know that he can have success against the Red Raiders. He has had a 25% usage rate at least in all five of those games, so I think everything points to Eric Stevenson having sustained success as a part of that West Virginia offense. Kedrian Johnson is another guard for West Virginia that I think is worth a look. He has had less usage than Stevenson. He's also had less consistency in terms of his fancy point totals, but he gets a lot of peripheral stats. He gets you some rebounds. He gets a lot of assists. He gets a lot of steals. He just has to stay out of foul trouble. And I think that Texas Tech is a team that he can do that against because I don't necessarily think that Texas Tech is the most like guard heavy, like attack the basket type of team. So um, I do think this could be another good game for Kedrian Johnson. Now for Texas Tech on the other side, since he has come back from injury, everything in their offense revolves around Fardal's AMAC, and he's been great. And as much as he was overpriced at like when he just came back from that injury, I think he's a little underpriced now, at least on FanDuel. I'll wait to see what he comes in on DraftKings before I make that statement. But he's just been really good since he came back. He's had a 26% usage rate on the season, according to Ken Palm. And he has over 30 fantasy points against West Virginia in the last time that these two teams played. Um, he's probably going to be a lineup lock for me if he's at the right price. Again, check that price first. But everything points to AMAC having a good game. Speaking of everything pointing to somebody having a good game, we're going to talk about Boston College versus UNC. Ken Palm has it as UNC, 75 to 65. And if you're wondering who I was talking about, I was talking about Armando Baycott. To me, this is a smash spot for Armando Baycott. 
with Boston College's current situation. Quentin Post, who is Boston College's leading scorer, leading rebounder, biggest guy in their rotation, um, was out for their last regular season game, and he missed the first round of the ACC tournament today. And so I think that this could be a really good spot for Armando Baker against an undersized, undermanned Boston College front court. I could just see him cleaning up all the misses that Caleb Love and R.J. Davis are going to fire his way. Now, for Boston College, T.J. Bickerstaff is the guy who's filling in for Quentin Post. He played okay today. He got you four times value if you played him. Uh, if he continues to be in the 4K range, I think he's worth a look. He's going to have to stay out of foul trouble against Baycott and Nance down low, though. Uh, and also for Boston College, with Post out, Jaden Zachary has really taken over uh, a lot of the usage offensively. Just saw really high usage today in the first round. And I would like to see him right about $6,500 again on DraftKings. If he is right around that range, I do think he's very playable. For UNC, like, everything is on the line for them this week, right? Like, this is a great narrative week for the Carolina Tar Heels because they are, you know, defending runners-up, if that's a thing. And they know that they got to win three or four games this week if they want to make it back to the big dance. So they're going to be giving it their absolute all. And for Caleb Love, when Caleb Love's giving it his absolute best, like, he's taking a lot of shots. And... Maybe they go in, maybe they don't. If they do go in, then that's great for Caleb Love. If they don't go in, then that's kind of great for Armando Baycott. So I think that you might try to see a little bit of which you see you've seen a lot this season, Caleb Love trying to do too much. And against what is now a weak Boston College rebounding team, that could mean big good news for Armando Baycott. All right, now the next game is Minnesota versus Nebraska. Ken Palm has this one as 71-63 to in favor of Nebraska. Now, previous matchups in this series this season were 81-79 to and 78-67, to both in favor of Nebraska. To me, this is a smash spot for all of the Nebraska guards if the price is right. Sam Griesel had a 31% usage rate in their last matchup. Keize Tomonaga, a.k.a. the Japanese Curry, I'm telling y'all, y'all got to watch him play. He was contained to only 11 points in that matchup against Minnesota, but I definitely think that I would just account it to a poor shooting night and Minnesota devoting a lot of attention to him. I think they'll have creative ways to get him the ball um, in response to that, and I could see him having a really good night in the Big Ten tournament. Now, Jamarcus Lawrence and C.J. Wilcher are probably going to come in a little bit cheaper than those two. I would love to see Lawrence in the 4K range yet again. Both of those guys, Lawrence and Wilcher, had good games against Minnesota the first time around. And for the big fellas down low, I think it's a good spot for both Derek Walker and Garson, or Dawson Garcia going against each other, um, neither of whom are the biggest or the best rebounders, but like against each other, they kind of like outdo each other. It's really weird, but they both kind of dominate each other. And so I think that both of them could be worth a look here on this night slate. Pharrell Payne for Minnesota has been playing great lately, but I'm worried that he's going to be priced up too much to be out of the range I'll be willing to play him in. Now, Virginia Tech against NC State is the next game we got to talk about. Ken Palm has this one as NC State 77 to 75. This is likely to be the highest scoring game of the night because you got two teams who are really good offensively and really average defensively. In their previous matchup, though, I don't really think you can go by it a whole lot because both of the teams were just different with the guys they were playing. Virginia Tech did not have Hunter Couture, and they did have Darius Maddox. NC State was not starting DJ Burns at that point yet in the season. And so what you end up with is you don't really have a great picture 
of what these two teams looked like, right? Now, what did happen was Jarkel Joyner had himself the best game of the night. He had 21 points and eight rebounds from the point guard position. So I really think that this could be another good spot for Jarkel Joyner again. But I really do like all the bigs in this one. I like for Virginia Tech, Mutz and Basili. Mutz having a huge first-round performance against Notre Dame. Um, and then I also like DJ Burns for NC State. We have seen the center's in for both of these teams, be susceptible down low to other scoring centers, right? Teams have gone right at Grant Basile. Teams have gone right at DJ Burns. Um, and so I definitely could see all of the big guys in this game having good fantasy productions. Now, with NC State, I kind of think this is a good matchup for them, though, in a way, because they really struggle at defending ball screens. And Virginia Tech is not a team that's going to ball screen you to death. And so maybe, just maybe, this is a good matchup for NC State and a matchup where DJ Burns can really stay on the floor and really give you good production with Grant Basile being out there. Now, Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State is another first-round Big 12 matchup. Golly, this conference is a gauntlet. Uh, Kent Palm has it as Oklahoma State 68-67. to I'll be honest, I'm probably not going to be playing any Oklahoma guys. I've mentioned them here on the podcast before. I like playing them in tempo up spots, not games where the other team's going to try to turn it into a rock fight. They generally don't have a lot of assists or a lot of high point totals when the game is stuck in the half court. So I don't think this is a great spot for any of them. If you want to be contrarian and maybe think you get a ceiling game out of Sherfield or Groves or maybe um, Uzan maybe, but I just, I don't know. I probably can't get behind them. For Oklahoma State, um, recently, Caleb Asbury has kind of taken over as their guy. He's been great lately in terms of production. However, if we look a little deeper than production, let's look at the usage rates. Bryce Thompson is still the guy I would rather have in my lineup. He's still carrying a 26% usage rate, and he had the big performance against Oklahoma the last time they played. Oklahoma really struggled to defend the length and athleticism of Bryce Thompson, which is something that Caleb Asbury just doesn't have as much of in either instance. So I really like Bryce Thompson for this matchup, and if he carries that usage rate again, which he has been consistently, he just hasn't been turning it all into production. If he has that usage rate again, I'm banking on some regression. I'm banking on that production to finally come for him. Stanford versus Utah in the Pac-12 is one of the later games of the night. Ken Pop has this one as Utah 70-68. to All of the Utah guards are back healthy, which makes them all just super confusing. I don't exactly know what's going to happen. It's very hard to predict. In my opinion, they're almost all unplayable. I say almost because for whatever reason, Lazar Stefanovic has like had Stanford's number. He said over 20 points in both matchups against Stanford this season, one of which was his ceiling game. Brandon Carlson against Stanford has just been okay um, from the forward spot. And I don't know. I'm probably going to wait and see what the price is before I see what I think of Carlson. Now for Stanford, Spencer Jones had a huge performance against Utah the last time they played. So my player pool from this game is probably going to be pretty darn small. I'm going to wait and see what the price tag on Stefanovic, Carlson, and Jones are. I think they'll all be pretty low owned because people generally don't play Stanford and Utah players a whole lot. So I definitely think that there could be worth a look, but I'm going to wait and see what the price tag actually is. Now, the last game that I do want to mention is LSU versus Georgia, and this sounds like it should be being played in the SEC championship in football instead of basketball, but here we are in the first round of the SEC tournament, and they're playing in basketball as two of the bottom dwellers of the conference. Anyway, 
Ken Palm has this one as Georgia 71 to 70. The last time they played, it was kind of ugly. It was only 65 to 63. No one really had a big performance in that game. KJ Williams had 18 points and nine rebounds and led LSU in minutes as a big man, which is impressive. Um, I think he could definitely be worth going back to. I would like to see him in the 8K range as opposed to the 9K range. Um, if he's in the 9K range, I would probably just rather pay up for Baycott. But if he's in the 8K range, I definitely think he's going to be in play. Uh, and then for Georgia, in that game against LSU, Terry Roberts and Justin Hill both had a lot of usage. They both had the ball in their hands a lot, but they didn't really turn it into a whole lot of production. Um, Hill's been playing really well lately. Um, Terry Roberts has had a great season, had a great career, but I kind of just... I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I can get behind him or not. I think if you play Terry Roberts, it would be because DraftKings has him in the 6K range, and you know he is capable of so much more than that. Um, but I definitely don't think there's anything statistically other than the high usage rate that hasn't turned into a whole lot of anything. So um, this game, probably KJ Williams for me in my player pool. I'm going to wait and see what the price tags are on Roberts and Hill before I make any other decisions. All right, y'all. So that does it for the ninth slate. I believe... I hope that I got to every game that's going to be on that DraftKings slate. If I missed one, I do apologize. But what I do feel comfortable with is that every game that I just analyzed is going to be on that slate. At least I sure hope I'm right about that and that doesn't end up being incorrect. Anyway, if you want to see how I took all this analysis and turned it into my official DFS picks, head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. Also, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button so that way you'll be notified when the next episode drops. For conference tournament week and for the NCAA, tournament week we're going to be getting episodes out to you daily so you get that notification you'll know when you got a new episode to listen to you can get listen to it whenever it's convenient for you and you can get that lineup in and built early all right so this wednesday should be a pretty good one y'all we still don't have a whole lot of the top teams in action yet that comes on thursday um, and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. It's a great week to be a college basketball fan, y'all. So anyway, best of luck to you guys in all your DFS endeavors. One more thing, if you're taking a break from college basketball this week, listen to the preview for the Players' Championship. Uh, it's the fifth major in golf, y'all. So give it a listen, give it a shot, play some DFS golf or you know make some bets on golf, whatever. But I promise you, there's sports outside of college basketball they are pretty great too. And golf is one of them. It's a lot of fun to play DFS and bet with. So give that preview a listen. Check that out in the episode feed when you get a chance. All right, that's all I got for now, y'all. Best of luck to everybody in their DFS endeavors tomorrow. And I will see you guys next time. Thanks for listening.